Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, please join me in opening yours to the 18th chapter in the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 18. Last week, we began to put two and two together. To be more specific, we put chapters 17 and 18 together. And this is what we learned. This one world apostate false religion described as a harlot, Revelation 17, lures, seduces, entices the entire world with unrestrained luxury, sensuality, materialism, and pleasure designed to develop an all-consuming power over the whole world led by the Antichrist, Revelation 18. Now, if that does not sound like a prosperity gospel, I do not know what does. And we learned something else. Look at verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. God's people in the past, Israel, in the present, the church, and during the future tribulation, God's people always need to make sure they are not tempted by unrestrained luxury, sensuality, commercialism, and pleasure that will lure, entice, seduce us from the cross we must bear, the self we must deny, the gospel we must proclaim. <clears throat> Life for the Christian has always been full of worldly temptations. And life for the Christian during the tribulation will be even more tempting. Notice verses 11 through 14. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense or ointment and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. As I was reading those verses this week, I was thinking about two locations, Michigan Avenue here in Chicago and the Woodfield Mall in a suburb of Chicago. I thought I'd ask you to take a walk with me. A walk with me in the mall, and the first store we walk by is the jewelry store, gold and silver, precious stones and pearls. The second store we walk by is a very expensive clothing store, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet. The third store we walk by, well, let's just call it the home improvement store. Citron wood, ivory, precious wood, brass, and iron, and marble. The fourth store we walk by is the cosmetic store. <coughs> Cinnamon and spice, incense, perfumes, frankincense, or ointment. <clears throat> the fifth store is not a store. Fine flour, wine, wheat, cattle, sheep. I think we just walked by an expensive restaurant. All these items are mentioned describing a society accustomed to commercialism, 
and materialism. Two weeks back, I pointed out God is angry. After seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and now seven bowl judgments, I think we all know God is angry. And I think I know the primary reason. God sent his son, his only son, to save the world. And what does man show God? That they don't love him. They love jewelry, clothes, cosmetics, their homes, fine dining. Wouldn't that make you angry? Do you know how we know God is angry? One way to know is when sinners reap what they sow. Man, up until this point, has been experiencing a whole lot of mercy. Most sinners receive mercy. <clears throat> that is, they do not reap what they sow. Reaping and sowing is all about kind after its kind. Sow an apple seed, reap an apple. That's kind after its kind. No, notice those words in verse 11, 11, no one buys their cargoes anymore. Nobody's buying reaping and sowing. I, I say reaping and sowing because Revelation 13 and 17, and he provides that no one will be able to buy except the one who has the mark. The world, the Antichrist, would not permit God's people to buy anything. And now God makes it so no one will buy what the world has to offer. The difference between Revelation 6, when his anger began, and Revelation 18 is the difference between the beginning and the end. No more mercy. Chapter 18 is the point of no return for this world. Did you know it is possible to reach a point where you want to repent and believe the gospel and God's, God's anger has reached the point of no return? Esau is an example. Hebrews 12 and 17, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. You can reach the point where you hear the gospel, want to repent and believe the gospel. You might even have tears flowing down your cheeks, and you've reached the point of no return. <laughs> Someone repeatedly hears, repent, believe the gospel, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. And he's been promising sinners forgiveness and eternal life with him. And they keep saying in their heart, not now. Maybe one day, maybe one month, one of these years, one of these months, but, but not now. How do hearts become hardened? It takes time, folks. No one starts out hard. Everyone has a beginning, Revelation 6, and everyone has an end, Revelation 18. Revelation 18 is the beginning of the end. Let me show you. Look, look at the beginning of verse 17 and find those words, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. Drop down to the end of verse 19. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Notice the end of verse 21, and will not be found any longer. This is repeated five times in, in five ways. Notice verse 22, and the sound 
of the harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeteers will not be in, be heard in you any longer. That's the first time. No one will be singing anymore. No, no one will be listening. The days of secular music on this earth will not be heard ever again. The beginning of the end. And notice, and no craftsman of any craft will, will be found in you any longer. This is the second time. No, no more home renovations. No, no more home depot. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. This is the third time. There will be no one preparing food. No, no more restaurants to find dining. And the light of the lamp will not shine in you any longer. This is the fourth time. No more electricity. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. Here is the fifth time. No more weddings, no more banquets, no more gala events. John Phillips writes, what a catalog of opulence. What a vivid picture of, of a great commercial city trafficking in every luxury the heart could desire. This is the world's great vanity fair, he says. It offers articles of adornment and display, beautiful things to grace the mansions of the world's millionaires. It deals in exotic spices and perfumes, in delicacies for the table, in provisions for banquets and slaves and in the souls of men. And Babylon imported all these things. <clears throat> Babylon's demand for this world, he says, is the goods was insatiable. Ever it clamored for more and more and more. I want to direct your attention to the very end of verse 23, and I want you to find those words because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. That word sorcery is the word pharmakia, pharmacy, pharmaceuticals, drugs. Many Bible teachers and preachers have turned here to try to describe that there'll be great drug addiction and perhaps there's some truth to that. But I really don't believe this is addiction to capsules, but commercialisms, commercialism. Obsessed on buying, addicted to buying. Listen, it's a drug of its own. Notice verse 14. The fruit you long for is gone from you, and all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. God has taken away their drug, their fix. This will catch the world by surprise. Look at the very end of verse 18. What city is like the great city? What city is like the great city is reminiscent of Revelation 13 and 4. Who is like the beast and, and who is able to wage war with him? The world has so passionately believed what is false rather than what is true, they believe that the Antichrist is actually invincible and insurmountable. But they believe that this utopia, Babylon, this great commercialism where life is lived in great luxury, it's invincible, it's insurmountable. What city is like the great city? Who is like the beast? Babylon's quick and sudden destruction will 
shock and amaze the world, and this will bring this one world apostate false religion with its one world economic commercialism, materialism, and global globalism to tears. Everyone is weeping. <clears throat> Notice the kings of the earth are weeping, verse 9, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensualis sensuously with her will weep. The merchants are weeping. Notice verse 15. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at his distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping. The shipmasters, the passengers on the love boat, the sailors. Notice verses 17 through 19. And every shipmaster and every passenger, or I should say for in, in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out, and they saw the smoke of her burn and saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping. Everyone's weeping. Now this weeping, what makes this weeping tragic is the beginning of the end. There is no end. Matthew 8 and 11, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell will be the place of weeping. How long are they weeping in hell? Well, if you believe in eternal life as I do, then you must also believe in eternal contempt. Daniel 12 and 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 25 and 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do, do you know who all these people are in Revelation 18? They're, they're, they're the same people yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Mark 8 and 36 for... For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? There is coming a day when millenniums of materialism will come to an end. The beginning of the end. Notice the beginning of verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads. This is an ancient expression of grief. There's great sorrow, great grief. Joshua 7, 5, and 6, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel listened, and they put dust on their heads. <clears throat> Why is everybody weeping? Why is the whole world weeping? Why is there such grief with this expression of putting dust on their heads? Why? Well, I can tell you this. It's not because of some heartfelt feelings for the city or, or even for the Antichrist. And it's surely not because of the consequences of their sinful lust, but because their materialistic fix can no longer be fulfilled. They are addicted to commercialism. It's their drug. And you know, if you know anything about a drug addict, 
They will go through anything. They will put their own lives through hell here on earth to get their fix. Should we weep with them? Should we weep for them? Why am I asking those two questions? Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. We, we should be rejoicing over her. This is reaping what you sow, almost humorously, kind for kind. Revelation 11 and 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. The whole earth was rejoicing that the two prophets were killed. And you may remember they laid their bodies laid in the streets for three and a half days, and, and they had Christmas. They sent gifts in celebration of their death. They rejoiced. Who did the whole earth? Now the whole of heaven is rejoicing over them. I call that reaping what you sow, kind for kind. I don't think we can fully appreciate how angry God is with materialism. God does not want other gods before him. No idols, Exodus 20. I would argue the other God, the idol that trends, transcends generations and people, is the almighty dollar. Michael Douglas in his movie said, greed is good. Greed is not good. I want you to see who's rejoicing in heaven. First, I believe it's the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and the tribulation saints. <clears throat> Psalm 73, 24, and 25, with your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. Now, I brought that to your attention because I want us to see heaven has synonyms. In that verse, heaven is called glory. Do you know what else is a synonym for heaven? Abraham's bosom. Follow along with me. Luke 16, 22, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. The rich man went to Abraham's bosom. So naturally, we need to ask, where is Abraham? Hebrews 11 and 10, for Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What, what city was Abraham looking for? <clears throat> Hebrews 11 and 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Glory is called Abraham, uh, heaven. Abraham's bosom is called heaven. A better country is a synonym for, uh, for heaven. And so, too, is a city a synonym for heaven. I would argue the psalmist, all the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, David, they're all in heaven rejoicing. Their souls, not their bodies, their souls. Who else is rejoicing in verse 20? Well, notice the word saints and apostles and prophets. L listen to these three categories of people, and they're described by Paul in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The church comprised of saints, apostles, and prophets are rejoicing in heaven. Who else is rejoicing in heaven? Revelation 7 and 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Revelation 7, 13 and 14, then one of the elders answered saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So we have this innumerable amount of Gentiles that come to saving faith in Revelation 7 and 9. They are clearly martyred, die some way, somehow, in Revelation 7, 13 and 14. And they're standing before the throne in heaven. Tribulation saints are in heaven. Older saints, newer saints, tribulation saints, all have in common, verse 20, judgment for you against her. Babylon, the mother of harlots, has also been the cause of persecution all the time from the beginning of time. All the way, you could, you could, you could see clearly how often they came against Israel. They hate true religion because they are false religion. Babylon, the mother of harlots. Harlots is a metaphor or symbol for false religion. The mother of all false religion hates true religion. All of God's people from every generation can cry out Revelation 6 and 10, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? How long for what? The beginning of the end. Look at verses 21 and 23. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer, and no craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer, and the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer, the beginning of the end. A great millstone. Do you see the word sea in verse 21? A great millstone and threw it into the sea. Why? God's people. Matthew 18, 6 through 7, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and it be, and it be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. 
You see, this is punishment for how God's people have been treated by Babylon, the mother of all harlots, the mother of all false religion. The devil has always had one objective with God's people, make them stumble. As I began to think about, and by the way, and you can read this when you have time, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Jeremiah 51, 61 through 64, speaks of a stone being tied, being thrown, Babylon being thrown into the middle of the Euphrates. I thought about how to best end our lesson. And I was drawn to Luke 12, 16 through 21. It's a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. You know, when you look at what we've been learning about Babylon in the future, it seems like it's going to be very rich. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Got a problem on his hands. Got way too much, an abundance. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you, and now you will own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You know, I'm not advocating that God's people should not enjoy life. What I am advocating is, why do you work? Why do you accumulate? Do, do you accumulate for self or for the glory of God? My friend, we come to that time as we do when it's time to talk about heaven and hell, the gospel, repent and believe the gospel, follow Jesus, and he will make you fishers of men. You know, that's my whole life story is to fish for men by preaching the gospel, the good news of grace, the good news of forgiveness, the bad news of sin, the bad news of the law. Repent means to change your mind about what you believe and how you behave. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he just another leader of another religion? Or is he the eternal son of God? Born of a virgin. Led a sinless life. Died on a cruel tree for your sins and rose again from the third day. That's who I believe Jesus is. Jesus is the only way. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other religion under heaven whereby man can be saved but the name of Jesus. So you must believe something about his identity. He's the eternal son of God. He even asks that question. Who do you say that I am? He is the eternal son of God, born of a virgin, led a sinless life, died on a tree for your sins, rose again on the third day, and he's coming again. You must change your mind about what you believe about you. You're not good enough. I, on your very best day, 
And I'm not disputing you're not good. You're just not good enough. James says if you keep the whole law, 613 laws, if you keep the whole law and stumble in one point, you are guilty of all. This is why Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, heaven's standard is perfection. And right about now, you must be saying, well, then who could be perfect? Oh, boy, I sure hope you were listening. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is the just for the unjust. Jesus took our place, died our death, paid the price so that we could be saved by sins. Believe in Jesus. Believe he can save you. No amount of goodness can save you. You're not good enough. you got to be perfect. Repentance also means a change of behavior. When you are born again of the Spirit and you hear the words that I'm saying, your life changes radically, dramatically, and eternally, internally. You change from the inside out, and this necessitates a change in behavior. It'll be over time. It's called sanctification but it begins on the day of salvation. Repent. Believe the gospel. Follow Jesus. And go fish for someone else. And tell them of the love of God found in Jesus Christ, our only Savior. To him be the glory forever. Amen.